Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Scrooge is wanted or not, man, it is here. Christmas is here. Very exciting. It's a, it's a great season to, to enter into, especially as a Christian. And we've got several things coming up to celebrate Christmas with our church family. You got a, a taste of the cantata that the choir is going to be presenting to us uh, next Sunday morning as part of our, our worship service. And appreciate Beth and the choir and all the hard work that they've put into that. We've got the Chosen Christmas special that we're going to be showing here at the church next Sunday night. And that's open to everyone. Invite someone and bring them with you. And um, there's a link in your bulletin. Let me just clarify a few things about the Chosen Christmas special. As a church, we've been enjoying the Chosen series for the past several months. Watching it and talking about it on Wednesday nights. It's fantastic. Uh, do I need to do something different here? I don't know what, I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, there's a link, though, in your bulletin, I believe, that talks about the uh, Chosen Christmas special. You can register online and purchase a ticket, and that money goes back to the Chosen to help fund this incredible series that we've been enjoying as a church family. You can also hit the door, or if that's something you can't do, don't want to do, don't worry about it, it will be taken care of. Uh, by someone in the church. So come and enjoy that. It's going to be wonderful. And then we've got our children's Christmas play coming up uh, two weeks from now, December 19th. The kids have worked hard and they've got a great presentation with us then. Just a wonderful. I'll tell you what, let me turn this off. We'll use this one. How's it? Let's, let's try that. Just a wonderful time of the year. So over the course of this month, of course, we finished up the book of James, and I think some people are probably pretty happy about that. We finished up the book of James, and over the next several weeks throughout December, we're going to look at various scriptures concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is full of references, full of prophecies concerning Jesus' birth, His first coming, the Old Testament, the New Testament alike cover many, many details of Jesus' birth. And so this morning, we're going to go way back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah and look at just a few of the many, many, many prophecies pointing to Jesus. And here's why this is important, okay? There's several reasons, actually. But one, if all of these things foretold of Jesus long before His birth happened actually took place, then today you can trust that Jesus is who the Bible says that He is. And two, that hope that was so real for God's people that we sang about this morning, come thou long expected Jesus, that hope that they believed in, that they trusted in so many years ago is still very true for us today, even though we're on the other side of history looking back to His birth today. The peace they longed for, the joy, the freedom, all these things that came with Christ is the same peace and joy and freedom that we can have looking back just as they looked forward. Now, Isaiah writes the words that we're going to be looking at this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there. He writes these words in the context of people, as he says, living in great darkness. They've taken their eyes off God. 
They seek to be filled with everything that the world has to offer, but they realize that, that it doesn't do anything for them. They find themselves just as empty as they were before. And the world that they live in is filled, as Isaiah says, with darkness and gloom and fear and evil is just everywhere. And men become so angry with God that they look up to heaven and curse God to his face. Now, that was written some 2,700 years ago. The world we live in today is not very much different, is it? So then Isaiah begins writing chapter 9. And he offers a little hope for this situation. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. In the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The longing for God's promised Messiah, for the Christ to come, I think finds its climax in the pages of Isaiah. And it goes all the way back. This hope, this longing for God to send this promised person goes all the way back to pretty much the beginning of time to the early book of Genesis chapter 3. And in this single chapter in Genesis chapter 3, sin is introduced into God's creation. As man rejects God's word, sins against God, and is left to face the consequences of those decisions. And in that very same chapter, the chapter where man sins against God, God makes the first promise in Genesis 3.15 to deal with that very sin. And God, after he confronts man's sin, he turns to the serpent and he says this in Genesis 3.15, that I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so from that moment forward, all throughout history, mankind was eagerly waiting and anticipating that moment, that precious moment when God would send the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 to deal with sin once and for all. And all throughout the Old Testament, we have God's prophets that are foretelling many of the details of Jesus' life, many things about his birth, about his death, in some cases right down to the very moment in history when it happens. And what we realize is that when God makes a promise, just like we've talked about before, when God makes a promise, God will hold up his end of the bargain. A prophecy is a promise. And some very intelligent people, and I appreciate Leonard Elliott sharing with Brotherhood this morning. If you didn't make it to Brotherhood, you missed 
not only a wonderful breakfast, but a wonderful history lesson and devotion. And he shared um, what some people have found concerning the prophecies about Jesus. And some people that are very smarter than myself looked at some of the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah in the Old Testament and determined the likelihood using the principles of probability to figure out what are the chances that one man in a single lifetime could fulfill just eight of those messianic prophecies. Leonard, I've got a silver dollar that goes back to about the time period you were sharing with us this morning. I think that says 1880. But here's some of the prophecies they considered. I'll come back to the silver dollar. Some of the prophecies they considered was that this person being born at Bethlehem, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, would be preceded by a messenger, be betrayed by a friend, be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that money then used to buy a potter's field. He'd be silent before his accusers and then crucified between criminals. Those are some of the uh, general prophecies about Jesus' life, his birth, his, his death, right? And so what they found was the probability of one man in history fulfilling just those eight prophecies. Get this. If you're good with numbers, you'll understand this, but it takes me some illustrations. One in ten to the 17th power. One chance in one with 17 zeros after it. That's one chance in 100 quadrillion. Now, do you know what your odds of How many people play the lottery? <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> Depending on who you ask, your odds of winning the lottery are maybe one in 300 million, okay? Depending. The chances of one person fulfilling all eight of these prophecies in a lifetime is one chance in 100 quadrillion. So back to my silver dollar. Again, numbers get away from us. But I can, I can see this, right? Silver dollar. If you had 100 quadrillion silver dollars, you could take all of those silver dollars and they would scatter out across the entire state of Texas, Okay. And they would stack up to two feet deep across the entire state of Texas. That's a lot of silver dollars. Now, the odds of this, what we're talking about, is you could stoop down and pick up one silver dollar out of that, out of that bunch. Walk around Texas all you want to, pick one up, mark on it, throw it back in the pile, blindfold yourself, walk around Texas again as long as you want, stoop back down, pick up one silver dollar, and the odds of picking up the one silver dollar that you marked and threw back in the pile are the same odds of one man fulfilling eight messianic prophecies in his lifetime. That's mind-boggling to me. But they went on to consider... The odds of fulfilling not just eight, but 48 messianic prophecies in a lifetime. And it was much more than one in 10 to the 17th power. To fulfill 48 prophecies was one in 10 to the 157th power. So one chance in one with 157 zeros after. It's virtually impossible. But here's what's incredible is Jesus did not fulfill eight prophecies. Jesus did not fulfill 48 prophecies. In his lifetime, Jesus fulfilled more than 300 biblical prophecies. And so what we see is when we talk about and we read about things like this in Isaiah, when God makes this promise and we see its fulfillment in Jesus, is you can take God's word to the bank. So the first thing we learn about Jesus from Isaiah, first couple of verses, is that Jesus brings light to our darkness. 
So throughout the book of Isaiah, this prophet talks about Israel's rejection of God's word and and God's ways. And Isaiah reminds his readers that how God in the past has had to humble them throughout their history as they've rejected God. How he's had to push them to repentance when they've turned from him and chosen the darkness over him. And Isaiah tells his reader, guys, look, in the future, things are going to change. Instead of humility, I'm going to bring honor. And he says, I'm going to do this by the way of the sea, by the land east of Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. And Matthew, right over in the New Testament, captures the fulfillment of that very prophecy in Matthew chapter 4 when he says, Jesus then left Nazareth and went, guess where? To Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And it was here along the Sea of Galilee that Jesus began his ministry so many years later. Isaiah foretold of this 700 years before Jesus was ever born. He says a new light would, be, would dawn and it was dawned in the middle of that darkness in Galilee. And Jesus began to travel that entire region, as Matthew says, preaching the good news teaching in the synagogues and healing every kind of sickness and disease. And here's what we've got to understand. Just like we sang about this morning, Jesus, the Son of God, stepped out of the light and the glory and splendor of heaven. And He he came into our darkness and He put on our flesh. And for years and years and years and years, we as a people could not overcome the darkness that was around us, no matter how much we tried, no matter how hard we worked, no matter how religious we became, we could not overcome the darkness that was in us, that was around us. But as John says, Jesus came and his light shone in our darkness. But here's the key. The darkness did not overcome it. And so today, here's what I want you to realize from 2,700 years ago. Here's the application for today. Jesus is still lighting up our darkness Sometimes it feels like the darkness is just too much. When you go out here and you look around and you see the many problems and you see the drugs and you see the hurt and you see families being ripped apart and and you you suffer all of these things and it, it feels like there's so much evil and there is. Just remember that Jesus is lighting up the darkness even today. John actually says it can feel like too much sometimes because the honest truth is, as he says, we love the darkness because our actions are often evil. And sometimes we're afraid of the light because we're afraid of what the light might expose on our darkness. But Jesus lights up all of our darkness. He lights up the darkest parts of our hearts and the darkest parts of our minds and our lives. And what he does is he drives the darkness out of us and puts in us a light that cannot be put out. As the late great Hank Williams said, no more in darkness and no more in night. That's some good theology right there. And if today you're surrounded by darkness, I just want you to know that just as Isaiah said, there's hope. There's a hope this morning. A light has dawned for humanity and His name is Jesus. The second thing that we learn about Jesus, verses 3, 4, and 5, is that Jesus brings freedom from our oppression. So Isaiah turns from speaking of the joy of the hope of the light of Christ to discussing the freedom that God will bring to his oppressed people. And Isaiah was a man of history. And he describes these times of national peace and prosperity in the future. And and, and he looks back to how the nation of Israel had always been at war with her enemies all throughout her history. Now there have been times of victory and times of 
triumph, but many times there were times of defeat and humiliation even on the international stage. And times they were taken captive and times they were enslaved. But here, the prophet looks forward and he tells of a a deliverance of God's people from their oppressors. He says their yokes will be broken. He says the rod of the oppressor will be shattered and even the warrior's boot will be useless. You can burn it for fuel for the fire as God redeems and frees his people from this bondage that they've endured. And the language that Isaiah uses is very reminiscent of the story back in the book of Egypt when God delivers his people literally out of slavery and out of the bondage and darkness of Egypt. And that entire story is a picture of God's salvation and redemption. And as incredible as that deliverance was when God freed them through the plagues of Egypt and took them through the Red Sea and freed them from their slaveholders, as wonderful as that is, the story of of God delivering His people from sin is so much more wonderful and powerful. The freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Because just as God's people, the nation of Israel, were enslaved, literally enslaved, and oppressed by their rulers, sin enslaves us, right? It is a slave owner, a slave driver that holds people captive and it drives a person just as a a person drives a slave and it's heavy and it's oppressive and it's painful and no matter what you do, it just seems like you can't escape it. But just like Isaiah says, he says, I'm going to shatter the yoke that burdens them. And Jesus came to shatter the yoke of sin that burdens us, to give us freedom. Freedom not just from our work and our labor and our heartache, but freedom from our sin. Freedom from our past and our regrets and our remorse and our hurts and our guilts and freedom from the yoke of sin's oppression. And if you've been feeling the weight of sin's burden, First of all, no, you're not alone. But if you, if, you, if you feel that oppressiveness, you know what I mean? It's just heavy. It's hard to carry sometimes. And if you've been feeling that, you need to turn it over to Jesus and experience the freedom He offers. Notice what Jesus Himself said about this. Jesus said, Come to Me, all of you who are weary and burdened. One translation says, heavy laden. He says, and I'll give you rest. He said, take not this yoke of sin or this yoke of bondage, but take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever burden, whatever yoke you've been carrying, Isaiah promises you can bring that to Jesus today. And find the freedom that you're looking for. And what Isaiah is ultimately teaching us, the last two verses, is that Jesus brings everything that we will ever need. This prophet moves from what he's been talking about with all these wonderful things to the source or the cause of all these great things. Notice what he says. He says, for a child will be born. A son will be given. And I think Isaiah has in mind the same child that he talks about Back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. 
He, this child, this son, is the reason for all these incredible promises that Isaiah is talking about. He's the reason, the cause of the light and the cause and the source of the freedom. And Isaiah says this child will be called four specific things. First, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. And this title carries with it suggestions of divinity. He's wonderful, but he'll also have divine wisdom. He's the, it's the very wisdom of God himself that we talked about when we're in the book of James. Likewise, he'll be called Mighty God. Now, this is a title of God himself. He's God Almighty. He's the God of Israel. And then he's called as we said, Emmanuel, which goes along with this, God with us, or is what Isaiah is saying with mighty God, he's almighty God with his people. Thirdly, he's called everlasting father. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the same today and yesterday and forevermore, that he has been there since time began, since before time began. He was with God in the beginning, active in creation. He's eternal, but like the Heavenly Father, Jesus will care for and shepherd His people as an everlasting Father. But then He's called the Prince of Peace. The first three names point to God Himself, but Prince in the Hebrew and throughout Scripture is a title for a, a human, for a person. Certainly not God Himself. But when you take that title and you put it together with these other three, what Isaiah is ultimately telling us is that this child, this person... The Messiah will be one that is both fully God and fully man. Emmanuel, God with us. He's everything that we'll ever need and so much more. When you need hope, He will bring it. When you need peace, He will provide it. When you need strength, Jesus will give it. When you need freedom, He offers it. And when you need a Savior, He is it. Jesus is everything. And this morning, if you don't know him. If you've never experienced all these wonderful things that Isaiah wrote about 2,700 years ago, this hope, this peace, this light, this freedom, just know that you can this morning. You can trust a God who promised so many years and years ago, He promised to send His Son. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas season, is God not only sending Jesus, but God fulfilling a promise that He made so long ago. He said, I will send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and deal with your sin forever. And that's exactly what God did through the birth of Jesus Christ. He came that Christmas so many years ago as the Prince of Peace. And one day soon he's coming as the King of Kings. Stand with us as we pray together. Father, it's overwhelming to look back at the pages of Scripture. And to see the shadows, the prophecies that point to that very precise moment in time. That you foreordained so long ago to send Jesus for us. As the old prophet said, for unto us a child will be born and a son will be given. 
So Father, thank you for sending Jesus for us. And thank you, Lord, that he is everything that we could ever need, regardless of where we are in life, regardless of what we've done in this life. Jesus is our hope for everything, for salvation, to get us out of the bed in the morning, to walk with us and talk with us and lead us. Father, this morning, if there's someone that that just doesn't know Him, God, it's my prayer that today they would. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's been searching for everything that they need in other places and other people, God, I pray they'd be reminded that everything they need is in You. God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, as we sing a song of invitation, if you'd like to come and pray or if there's a decision that you need to make or share with your church family, we just invite you to come this morning as we sing. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at BarbervilleFBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.